The reading is from John 20, 24 through 29. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he replied, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus replied, Do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Hi, my name is Victoria Sanasparza, and I am so glad to be here with you today. Uh, if you, we have not met, uh, I've been helping out at Zao for the past couple of months, running graphics and social media. Uh, and one of the things that I have to say is that I am a little bit jealous of the beautiful and vibrant faith community that you have here. Um, for me, I call Dallas, Texas home, and I am both a designer and a pastor, and I kind of work in this like liminal space on the edges of churches, um, thinking a lot about what can churches be if we think about them differently, um, but ultimately believing at the end of the day, despite all of my skepticism, that churches can actually be this meaningful, beautiful place um, in a lot of ways, which you have created here at Zao. Now, when Joda told me that they were going on parental leave um, and asked me if I would preach, I helped put together this series, this Hot Body Summer series. And this series was really born out of some of my own personal experiences around um, lessons that I have learned from my body and ways that has influenced my spirituality and my emotional life over the past few years. And one of the things that I think is really helpful for you to understand about me uh, is that I am disabled. And uh, being entirely honest, um, that's a pretty new label for me. I turned 28 just a few weeks ago. And um, in the past five years alone, I have had three different hip surgeries. Um, I live with a couple of different chronic conditions. Uh, I have some pretty substantial dietary restrictions that create a lot of stomach problems for me. Um, but I also uh, have a chronic hip condition uh, that's called uh, a femoral retroversion impingement, which basically means that my hips sit in the socket in a way that is the wrong angle. And so when I walk, it creates um, pinching and tension and uh, a lot of pressure on my low back and has caused a lot of like subsequent problems from um, my hips being misaligned. Now, I want to be really clear up front that disabled people don't know anybody an explanation of their medical history. But the reason I wanted to share that with you today is because uh, I believe <laughs> that uh, you probably wouldn't know these things about me if I didn't tell you, because I have what are called invisible disabilities. Um, I would guarantee you that if you met me in person, you'd have no idea how many surgeries I've had or how much pain I live with every single day. And so the other reason I wanted to share this with you is because uh, I have found that my experiences of disability, I think are actually really well reflected in this text and that there are things that I have learned about my own body through this story. And my hope is that there are some things that uh, we can learn together about what transformation might really mean. So 
Our story today begins uh, shortly after Jesus' resurrection. Um, we are in John 20, if you're interested in following along. And the beginning of John 20 starts uh, with Mary Magdalene going to visit Jesus' tomb. Uh, she's going to pay her respects, put some herbs on his body, some oil. And she gets to the tomb and it's empty. So she freaks out. She runs and grabs the disciples and they start freaking out. And the disciples run off. And when the disciples leave, Jesus appears to Mary. And he tells Mary that nobody's taken his body, that he is indeed alive. So Mary starts rejoicing and she's so excited. And Mary is actually the first person to tell everybody that Jesus has risen from the dead. And shortly after that, Jesus appears to the disciples. And he says the same thing to the disciples. And they're amazed and they're so excited. But there was one disciple that wasn't there with them. And that's where our story picks up. You see, Thomas uh, wasn't around when Jesus showed up to the disciples. So Thomas is with his friends and they're like, Thomas, Jesus is alive. Except Thomas doesn't believe them. Uh, in verse 25, Thomas tells them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the marks of the nail and my hand on his side, I will not believe. Now, I get it, okay? I don't know if my friend died, if I would believe that that person came back to life. And I think Thomas gets a really bad rap when this story gets told, because I guarantee, if you go look this up in your Bible or you just Google this on the internet, the first thing that's gonna pop up is doubting Thomas. And the truth is, I actually don't think it's that unreasonable that Thomas has so much doubt. I think that it can be really easy for us to read these stories and forget that these were people that had real human experiences, both the, the good things and the bad things, and also the deeply traumatic things. I think that we have to put this story in the context of everything that's happened over the past couple of days with Jesus' death and resurrection. Because if it's Sunday and they're just discovering that Jesus is alive, then just four days earlier, they were having dinner with Jesus. Jesus was then violently arrested by the government. They abandoned their friend. On Friday, they watched from a crowd of people silently while Jesus was mocked, abused, tortured, and finally violently killed on a cross. And then they want to go pay their respects to the body and the body is gone. So I think that we tend to read this story and just think that these are just events instead of imagining that this was probably the most painful, scary thing the disciples have ever experienced in their life. And so when Thomas doesn't believe that Jesus is back, I get it. Because what I think Thomas is really going through is I think that Thomas can't possibly imagine a scenario in which transformation and resurrection are real. And I'll tell you that I know what that feels like. And my guess is most of you know what that feels like. What it feels like to look around you, to look at yourself, and to ask yourself, how could it possibly get better? How can I possibly imagine that anything could ever be okay again? 
I think that we've all had those moments where we look around and the depth of our loss is so great that it seems truly impossible to imagine any life on the other side. But do you know what's interesting about this text? Is that Thomas is very specific about what will make him believe that Jesus is real. Thomas doesn't just want to see Jesus alive and walking around. Thomas wants to see the scars. For Thomas, the scars are an essential part of believing that any of this is true. So we pick back up with our story. A week after the disciples tell Thomas they saw Jesus, something incredible happens. Jesus shows up. Except the text is pretty clear that Jesus doesn't just show up in some ordinary way. Let me read this to you. A week later, his disciples were again at the house and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were shut, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't say that I've had any experience in my life in which somebody has successfully entered a room while the doors shut. So the disciples, I'm going to guess, are pretty frightened, confused, maybe happy to see Jesus, but also a little scared because somehow Jesus has appeared in the room that they are now in. But immediately, Jesus turns to Thomas and he says, put your finger here, see my hands, reach your hand out and put it in my side. Now, this story is very mysterious. And for centuries, theologians, scholars, pastors have tried to make sense of what this story really means, of, of how it is that Jesus shows up in a room, not using the door, and then is literally standing there in front of them in such a physical way that they can now touch him. Now, I don't claim to know how this happened. I don't claim to understand that I even, claim to know that I even understand what happened. But what I can say is that Jesus showing up in that literal physical body that Thomas could touch is an essential part of how God understands what transformation really means. Because Jesus could have shown up in literally any imaginable way possible. Jesus literally just came back from the dead. And Jesus decides to show up to the disciples in the exact same body, bearing the scars of the worst thing that has ever happened to him in his life. Now, I've thought a lot about this as I've thought about Jesus' scars. And I don't think that they were just like little scars. I don't think they were just like little dots on his hand or on his side. I think they were gross, ugly scars. Because if you imagine somebody coming back from the dead who was crucified, then that means at some point there was a nail that went all the way through his hand and nail that went all the way through both of his feet, which means that on both sides of his hand, there's this big lumpy scar. And on his side, where they, they pierced him with a spear, 
there's this hole. And my guess, it's lumpy and probably indented. And there's something about Jesus showing up in that body that feels substantial to me. Because there's no way that Jesus walked into the room and that the disciples didn't immediately recount all of the horrible things that had happened to them over the past week. Watching Jesus get beat, watching Jesus hang there, watching Jesus die. And it says something to me that Jesus shows up in this scarred, broken body. And it says something to me about how God actually sees what resurrection means about what transformation really looks like. That there's something about the scars that is an essential part of whatever comes on the other side of our pain. The truth is, I didn't used to think very much about scars until I had them. As I mentioned at the beginning of my sermon, I have had a lot of surgeries and If you've had a lot of surgeries or any surgery, then you know that scars are kind of a part of the deal. And there are actually a lot of scars. Uh, There are some scars that just kind of happen when you get injured and they can be painful and sometimes even need surgery simply because they're a scar. But most of the time, the kind of scars that you get from surgery are these, these like white thin lines on your skin. And depending on how big the surgery is, uh, they will close up over time and often just fade. Uh, They will kind of fade into the color of your skin and you won't notice them after a few years. There's another type of scar that sometimes happens when you have surgery um, and they uh, are very different. They are lumpy and round and um, often are like a little bit raised off the skin and they will heal over time, but the discoloration never really goes away. And they sometimes can be like itchy for a really long time. And those are the kinds of scars that I have. Uh, I have about 12 across both of my hips. And I'll be really honest with you that for a really long time, it was really difficult for me to look at my scars. Every time that I changed, every time that I got in the shower or I went swimming, I would see them. And for me, my scars were a really painful reminder of the reality that I live in, that my pain is constant, even in this moment, that my pain is not going away, maybe improving over time, but really not ever fully. And that my relationship to my body is very complicated. And One of the things that I think about a lot as I read this text is I wonder what did Thomas feel when he looked at Jesus' scars? The text tell us that as soon as he touched Jesus' scars, he believed. He believed that Jesus was truly resurrected. And whenever I read these stories, I always like to wonder what are the things that maybe aren't here? What are the things that maybe these people felt and thought that aren't said in the text? And one of the things that I wonder is I wonder if Thomas was relieved that Jesus had scars. I wonder if he was relieved to know that even the Son of God did not escape pain without a remark, a mark to remember it by. 
I wonder if he was relieved to know that maybe our scars can actually connect us to the painful moments that God also experienced. There's this book that I really love. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. Um, I've been reading it over the past uh, couple of months, and this is a, it's a clinical book. It's written by a psychologist who talks a lot about how our bodies um, actually can hold memories and feelings in ways that often our conscious brain um, is not as aware of. Uh, the, she, the book talks a lot about how um, our bodies can indicate to us uh, when we feel safe, or when we feel scared, or when we feel pain. And sometimes those experiences don't always match the reality, and they certainly don't always match what we are thinking. And one of the things that I find fascinating about this is that our bodies can tell us that we feel safe when maybe it's actually not safe, and our bodies can tell us that we're in danger when maybe we're really not in any danger at all. And if we believe that this is true, then our bodies are essential and very important parts of our entire identity. That our bodies are not just these vessels, these like fleshy things that we live in that, that exist only to serve what we want to do, but in some way they have some kind of identity and experience that is distinct from our conscious cognitive experience. Now, I say all of this to say that thinking about the experience of her bodies um, has made me think a lot about my own relationship to my body, which is admittedly very complicated. For a really long time, I resented my body because I believed most days that my body had betrayed me. That my body, I thought, existed to take care of me, to keep me safe, to function in the ways that I needed it to function. And what I often felt was that my body had chosen to cause me pain instead of let me live my life in a way that a normal person would. And over the years, I have done a lot of work to reframe that relationship to my body. But one of the most difficult things that I had to come to terms with with my body was that I don't have very much control of my body. I won't say I don't have any control, but I have very little control is what I have uh, come to understand. Because in many ways, my body and I are not aligned most of the time. That there are things that I want to do and that there are things that my body wants to do. And sometimes those things are not matched. And often what it feels like is being in a relationship with somebody who does not listen to you. So on days when I need to do something that is very important, my body says, no, we're not gonna do that. And then there are other days my body says, we need to sleep all day or rest all day. And I'm like, I've got shit to do. And I have had to negotiate what it means to be in relationship with my body. And instead of treating my body like this vessel that just I can abuse and use, I have to treat my body a lot more like a person that I love and care for. 
and sometimes compromise with even when I don't want to. And from that place of compromise, from that new relationship with her, I have had to rewrite the story of what it means to be okay, what it means for me to experience healing and transformation in my own body. Because for a really long time, I believed that healing was to regain a fully able body, a body that was able to do what everybody else could do whenever I wanted to do it. And I've come to accept that that's never going to happen for me. And so it's led me down this path of asking myself, what if transformation is the recognition that my body and I are actually on the same team? What if transformation is accepting that maybe even if my pain doesn't go away, that there's still a way for me to be okay? I'll admit that uh, I have an unpopular belief that has come out of my own experiences. And that is, I believe that few things are as transformative as pain. And I don't just mean the kind of pain where you like scrape your knee. I mean like the deep kind of despair and hurt that, that we experience. I think it's the reason that queer people and people of color and folks who have had experiences where they have been deeply hurt because of oppression tend to be the people who have the most incredible stories of transformation and a kind of depth that is really hard to name. And I really have struggled with this belief that I have developed over the years because I think there's a very, very fine line between justifying abuse and oppression and intentionally causing a person pain and also acknowledging that pain has a unique ability to unlock something in our emotional and spiritual lives that is very hard to access by other means. I'll be really honest that I don't understand God's role in the midst of this kind of pain. But I will say that I believe that God in all of her creative goodness did pave a way for pain to turn into something, to transform into something more beautiful and whole than we could have ever possibly imagined. So one of the things that I am exceptionally grateful for in this text is that Jesus showed up with scars. Because it says to me that God knew one day that we would ask these questions that we would want to know what the relationship is between pain and suffering and what it really means to be healed. That we would need to know that transformation and healing isn't always a shiny new body or a brand new life, but that sometimes resurrection means carrying pieces that remind us of the pain that we've gone through. That sometimes resurrection means the scars don't go away that the scars are reminders of the things that have hurt us in the past. And I have to say that one of the greatest gifts my body has given me, that my chronic pain has given me, is the ability to hold my pain and also hold the pain of others. 
I think there's something incredible that happens when we learn that pain is not something that we erase from our story, but that pain is something that lives with us. It changes. It looks a little bit different over time, the same way our scars do. But, but that pain can be a part of how we move forward. It's sometimes really hard for me to understand how all of these things exist while God is still good. And I, I will be honest with you, I still believe that, despite being a person who lives in physical pain each and every day. It took me a long time to get there, but I believe that. And one of the things that I have learned, one of the things that I believe, is that God has created a seemingly impossible pathway for us to hold divergent things at the same time. That God has given us a way for us to imagine how pain and hope can exist simultaneously, how pain and peace can exist simultaneously, how pain and contentment can exist simultaneously. I don't pretend to know how God works in this space, but I do believe that our bodies hold important stories and lessons in teaching us what transformation means. I believe that our bodies have a wealth of knowledge of what it means to carry the things from our past, sometimes even the things that we wish we didn't experience, and also move forward and build beautiful, amazing things. And ultimately teach us that transformation can be something that is complicated and messy and hard, but that transformation can offer us a life that we couldn't have imagined before the painful thing happened. Transformation in a way that not only changes us, but ultimately heals us and heals the people around us. Amen. <laughs>